Hello and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting. Uh, obviously, the day after signing day, it's going to be mostly recruiting. We'll have a little bit of talk about basketball and even some hockey at the end, but this is going to be mostly about recruiting. Yesterday was National Signing Day. Michigan closed uh, with a class that I think a lot of people are a little worried about. So we'll talk about fan panic. We'll talk about the recruiting class that that, that was, and we'll talk about 2019. Uh, we also got some, not coaching news, but we got a general update on where the coaching staff is headed. So we'll talk about that, what we think of that, and then we'll answer some fan questions, and then we'll close with some, some non-football talk. But uh, it should be a loaded show because... Man, oh man, I don't, I feel like Michigan fans, they're almost like partying like it's 2014. I can't remember the last day, and obviously Michigan football losses are a little different, but the last day that Michigan fans were so down on, on the football team uh, and, and, and the coaching staff, kind of a, you know, while other schools were, were having, you know, these banner days, and, and in the past Michigan's had the signing of the Stars, it was a little bit quieter, and part of that was because of the early signing day. Uh, and, and Michigan didn't sign a whole ton of people, you know, this in the second signing day. But certainly some misses. Uh, Otis Reese, uh, you know, obviously Nicholas petit Frere and Jarrett Patterson. Those had kind of, you know, our reporters had had those crystal balls in for, for a while beforehand. But regardless, we're going to talk about all of it. I'm Zach Shaw, your host. Steve Lorenz and Isaiah Hull are on the phone with me. Uh, should be a fun show. And guys, we'll start off with a question that comes from Rick Moody, uh, who's a frequent question asker, and he says, how bummed out should Michigan fans be with this recruiting class? And then he throws in a quip, why can't Michigan fans have nice things? Uh, Steve, we'll start with you. Certainly not a top five class or top ten class like it had been the previous couple years, uh, but this was already going to be kind of a down class. I guess where do you fall on on whether fans should be bummed out, disappointed? What, what should their reaction be? Um, I think it's fair to be disappointed. I think, as per usual, the reactions have gone completely insane and way overboard. Uh, recruiting is... Uh, people know we've been doing this a while now. I mean, it's it's complicated. It's not as simple as just saying yay or nay uh, with this, uh, you know, when you're talking about a group of kids like this. Uh, but I... It's perception-based, especially in the fact that, that, you know, just look how bad they finished. I mean, there's just no way around it. Uh, The two races I look at as probably the most disappointing, really not Otis Reese, not Petit Frere, definitely not Petit Frere, but uh, the Jarrett Patterson and then losing Tyler Friday late to Ohio State. uh, Those were, in my opinion, those were were really bad losses uh, for the staff, I think. Tyler Friday is a prospect that Michigan, I would venture to say they led for for 18 months, probably. I mean, they led for him for a real an eternity recruiting wise. Lose him probably literally in the last two weeks. Uh, again, I got some heat for it, but it's just a fact. The coaching carousel was negatively spun by some other programs as far as it pertained to Michigan and Ohio State was able to capitalize on it. Uh, you know, negative recruiting-wise, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with negative recruiting if you're telling the truth. I think when you're lying to kids, I think it gets a little dicey. Um, 
and in this case, I don't, I don't think they, I don't really think there may have been lying going on because there was uncertainty about what Partridge was going to do, which is really what that all boiled down to. Uh, still, he came back, and it didn't make a difference though, which was kind of odd. So, uh, and then the Jarrett Patterson one I posted yesterday, his reaction to me after he, two hours before he cut Michigan, gave me a peculiar quote along the lines of. I I know where they stand with me and how much they care for me. I came off of that coming thinking like, okay, I think Michigan's got a real shot here then because it was hit, pertaining to them maybe coming in home for a last visit before he decided. And two hours later, Michigan's out. Hmm. So I thought I thought that was really peculiar. I still don't know exactly what he meant. Still a kid I had a good rapport with. I may actually, to be honest with you, because I'm curious, may reach back out to him and see if he's willing to to discuss it a little bit more in depth because. Uh, no doubt Michigan led there for a while too. Notre Dame comes in, takes it, you know, didn't even, I think the offense, I think Harry Highstand left Notre Dame the day after they offered Patterson and they, they were able to win the race. And they didn't hire him with like, it wasn't like some celebrity hire either. It was one of Brian Kelly's old colleagues who hadn't coached for a while. hundred percent. So, you know, cause I always kind of felt like I never really got the impression that UCLA was going to be the pick for him. Right. Uh, I know it's close to home for him. He's a California kid, but I just never really felt he was that enamored with UCLA. And uh, I thought he was definitely a Michigan Notre Dame type kid. And then Michigan doesn't even make the top two. So, uh, you know, that's to me, that's a a huge whiff. Uh, and again, I, I, it's one that one more than any is the one I'm really curious to know why Michigan, what happened there? Because, like I said, I felt like Michigan led. Um, I like the kids they signed. I really do. It's not like a sunshine blowing at all. I think that the class is def. I definitely think it's underrated. Uh, I, I the one thing I wrote yesterday, and I stand by it. I thought our rankings from a twenty four seven standpoint, I, I think they were poorly constructed this cycle. I mean, there's just no other way to put it. And the only reason I say that is not not necessarily because Michigan's final ranking ended up pretty low. It was more the idea that. I think 85% of the class was graded their junior off of their junior year, kind of like we just did the 2019 re-ranks mm-hmm. uh, a couple weeks ago, right? That it's that that set of rankings for this cycle. Uh, more than 80% of the class kept the same rating from that grading, and I think there were at least six or seven kids in the cycle that had really good senior years. Yeah deserve some bumps and uh it never happened i know i mean i even go as far as saying a couple analysts on our network specifically said that miles sims was a kid that was going to get a bump and he never did i mean he finished the cycle as an 88 rating and we were the only uh ranker or whatever to have him as a three-star prospect you know i think his his composite he was at like 120 overall and so you think about how far a three-star 88 is dragging him down you know he's He's probably a top 100 kid, really. That's where you see all the hot takes about Michigan didn't sign a top 100 right. kid. Well, if Miles Sims was even ranked, rated an 89, I think, he'd have been a top 100. Or, you know, so. but And that's going for the bulk, because obviously we had Cameron McGrone a lot higher than everybody else did, right? So there yeah. are a few, and, and there were a handful of guys that 24-7 had significantly higher uh, it's just that there were a lot of guys whose grades just literally never changed, and it's just hard to fathom that all of these players were properly graded hmm. after their junior year with no input on their senior year. So uh, I think it was a l- little bit of a disappointment in that regard. 
But in the big picture sense, yeah, I think it's fair to be disappointed, especially how they finished, especially how they finished on the offensive line. Uh, recruiting Calvin Anderson has no effect on what they should have done in 2018. He's a grad transfer. Um, if they get him, that's huge for this year. Uh, but as far as the future goes, the pressure, they have, there is a ton of pressure on them to recruit heavy on the offensive line in 2019. So, and then again, not to open a box of worms that people love to talk about, but you already <laughs> have Logan, Logan Brown committed to Wisconsin. Devonte Dobbs continues to look like a long shot. Um, although I don't necessarily think he's a tackle, but uh, you know, Logan Brown, a five-star prospect in my opinion in state is already committed to Wisconsin. I don't anticipate, you know, he hasn't wavered for, at all from that stance. So um, it's going to be interesting. You know, but I mean, defensive, they miss on defensive tackle with Tyler Friday and then they whiff completely on the offensive line. Otherwise, I think all in all, I think if you take it position by position, I think they did fine. Yeah, honestly. Well, and it's a it's a tricky class because you you aren't necessarily you can't promise people that they're going to start before they're juniors. I mean, you know, think about linebacker. It's like, well, Devin Bush, Kalik Hudson, Singleton, Jordan Anthony. Josh Ross. I mean, like, like there's a few positions like that where they have the foreseeable future for the next two years. So it's kind of a tough one. And Isaiah, I guess my question for you and looking at how the team approached this and, and Steve definitely talked about the, the, the whiffs, but how did you feel they, they filled uh, some of their needs, obviously tackle notwithstanding, but some of their other needs and what they were looking for and maybe people more of their system. Cause this class at a surface, I mean, 21st, Seven four stars, twelve three stars, nineteen overall players according to according to our site doesn't doesn't jump off the page, but there are at least some intriguing prospects, some higher rated than others, but more importantly, some that actually fill needs that Michigan's looking to fill. Well, I think there are some interesting pieces in this class to be sure. Uh, I did a, a little quick piece that we I put on the board, the board, the board that was. About the uh, the top five impact players on uh, that are coming in, and particularly look, you're looking at running back. You've got three guys, you know, really kind of two and a half guys that I think are really interesting uh, from that standpoint. Uh, but I, I know Christian Turner is probably the one that gets ballyhooed a little bit more um, as far as it comes to uh, which uh, which of the incoming running backs are, you know are probably a little bit more fans are a little more excited about, but Hassan Haskins is the guy that I was told very specifically from a source that the whole deal with with him with Michigan was that you know they had seen him you know coming off of his junior year and they just kind of wanted to lay low and just kind of wait until you know to hope hope that he wouldn't get discovered and then made him an offer at that point where it was like you know was going to be insulting and they could still get into it. It's the same story as what they did with Sean McCune and you see what. Sean McCune was able to do this year. I mean, he led Michigan in receptions. Uh, that's pretty pretty amazing, considering he's surrounded by a bunch of four you know four stars, five star, and you know, and was like a you know two to three star prospect at the time that he got offered by Michigan. Kind of a similar thing with Hassan Haskins, except for he's also finally Cream Walker, notwithstanding, kind of that front line running back that Michigan hasn't had. Uh, yeah, they had Devion Smith last, you know, two years ago and everything, but Devion seemed like a, maybe a, a tiny bit undersized for that role. Haskins is a little bit bigger, it looks like. 
maybe not by a long shot, but you know, at this coming out of high school, he's a pretty you know pretty solid prospect. He's a guy that I think you know both fills a need you know desperately for for this team and really has a high ceiling, and that's kind of this class in general. Weirdly, I kind of look at a lot of these you know three stars that they signed, and they all have really just a ton of potential. And, you know, I know Steve mentioned quite a bit about Luke Schumacher. Uh, that's how you say his name and how Michigan sees him as being a, like maybe one of the best tight ends they've ever had. Uh, I've had that same kind of conversations with some of my guys and everything about him and, you know, the green brothers. And it just seems like they picked up a lot of guys, Ronnie Bell, who was, you know, the best player in his area but mostly focused on basketball until his senior season, really. These the guys are, have giant, huge ceilings, some of the best around, but just kind of seem underscouted in a lot of ways. And then kind of to, to something that Steve had said about uh, the, the 24-7 sports rankings and everything, I'm, I'm still kind of surprised that you didn't really see a very big bump for a guy like Aiden Hutchinson, who had – probably the best game on the defensive line in the all of the army all-american game he had all the you know all of our guys down there and he has the best game when it counts you know and really doesn't see much movement and it seems kind of par for the course this this year and a lot of the guys that michigan brought in are very solid aiden hutchinson jalen mayfield ryan hayes but because they were all perceived Michigan leans, I just think that they, you know, before they even committed, I don't, I don't think that people were as excited about them as they should be because these are really solid prospects. And if, if these were guys that were maybe Michigan was in a battle with Alabama for, or, or Georgia, or, you know, a lot, like a lot of these guys down the stretch and they are rated as those types of players, then I think people would have a lot of the much dip, different perception of this class, but, fact of the matter was they were all basically slotted to go to Michigan and therefore people aren't as excited about them as they should be. But uh, last point, the, the, the player I'm most excited about is Cam McGrone. I mean, we had him as a five-star. I've seen him play. Guy looks, he looks like Devin Bush out there. He knows for the football. He can wreak some havoc. I think Michigan fans should be insanely excited about him. I mean, he's, He's as good as anyone Michigan's brought in under Harbaugh with the exception of, of Rashawn Gary. And, you know, even then, you know, who knows how he'll finish his career. He's pretty amazing. Yeah, let's let's talk about that real quick because uh, to wrap up the 2018 class, obviously we've got tons of stories. You mentioned the impact players. We have a lot of thoughts. We have, uh, you know, kind of stories about how it all came together. Uh, we'll talk about that. You check it all out, the MichiganInsider.com, 247sports.com. But for, for real quick to to kind of put this 2018 class into perspective a little bit cuz cuz I do think the late the the extra signing day you know if they had signed 19 players yesterday and it was you know this like I think there might have been a little bit more excitement but there were other teams landing commits yesterday uh Michigan not so much but anyway let's do uh who will make an impact next year uh who will make an imp- who who will make the biggest impact overall and and I mean, these are obviously predictions. They're just for fun. Uh, and then who is the most underrated recruit in your eyes? And Isaiah, I guess you just mentioned McGrone. I guess who would be your three on that list? Uh, well, yeah, McGrone, McGrone's my guy. I think is going to be 
the the biggest impact this upcoming year. Uh, I, I think he'll definitely should see some time, not unlike Devin Bush in his freshman year, uh, and then obviously on special teams and everything. And always got some guys ahead of him and everything on the depth chart with the three that they brought in. But I think he's just too good to to not come in um, and and make an impact. Uh, overall, biggest impact. You know, I am going to go with Haskins, who I mentioned earlier. I think I think he's going to be, I think he's going to be special for Michigan at the running back position. Uh, if based off of everything I've seen, everything I've heard, I think he he's going to be a guy that it might take him a year or two before he really gets going. Obviously, he's going to have to split time with uh, the likes of Higdon Evans, Cream Walker, uh, and everything. But I, I think he's going to be a the, the, he's the type of running back that Michigan has been wanting to have under Harbaugh. Uh, what was the other one? We got the uh, most underrated. So, so it could be someone up high, someone up low, but someone you think people are sleeping on a little bit more than they should be. Uh, I'll go with I'll go with Ronnie Bell. Just the, every everything I've heard about this guy is that he's just a pure athlete. It just doesn't sound like anyone really ever got a chance to scout him. It, he just he really seems to me like the type of player that could come you know come in and just. At the wide receiver position, that it doesn't necessarily need to have, uh, you know, with Peoples Jones and Tariq Black and Nico Collins and Oliver Martin, they've already got some stars there. But he's the kind of player I think that comes in and has that more of like a Ju Chesson type career that come, you know, has the athleticism. And after a few years, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, I think we're going to see a guy that everyone's just kind of surprised by. Is Jay Chesson from the same? I can't remember where Chesson played high school. But... Uh, he's also from Missouri. Okay. Okay. Anyway, Steve, uh, you know, immediate impact, overall impact, and then underrated recruit people aren't talking enough about. Who, who do you think that is? Uh, immediate impact, I'm going to go with Ben Van Summeren. I think he'll be a much like Ben Mason last year. See, Michigan brings back so many guys, it's hard to like look at one of these players they just sign and say, hey, this guy's going to like come in and start. Yeah, I think I think Van Summeren will play immediately on special teams. I think he's – I posted this yesterday. I think I would take his high school film over Ben Mason's. I think he's going to give them a – by the end of the year, we'll give them a, a really, really good and intriguing one-two combo at the like fullback, H-back spot. Well, so. there's a two-deep spot obviously automatically open already too. So Right, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, there's that too. And uh, even then though, I mean, I think, you know, between he and Mason, I think they've gotten two guys that – they finally got two guys that really fit, uh, you know, what Harbaugh wants there. Van Summering, I think, could be a guy could see – them throwing the ball a little bit more and he might be able to do something with it. Not like a, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, a guy, well, like, it's I always like, Oh, fullback made a catch. You know, it's like, it's not like a, it's not like right. a funny thing to tweet. Like it's a real right. play. I think of like the Vikings, like throwing a wheel route to like Bill Vander Plugen, you know, like for, <laughs> and he's got like a neck roll and he gets like seven yards. You know, I think Van Summeren's a guy that could actually do some stuff with the ball in his hands. So, um, he's my immediate impact. Uh, Overall, I mean, I got to go with this is, I mean, I, again, we go partly with what we know and what we're told I, I, to this, at this point, since I've been doing this, the only two players I've ever seen Michigan more excited about were Jabril Peppers and Rashawn Gary is, is Joe Milton. And wow. Okay. Um, no, I mean the reaction when Milton committed to Michigan was like, 
remember this day. I mean, I remember that's what I one source. We always that's what the source yeah. said. Well, the yeah. source told me, uh, remember this day, and I was kind of like, yeah, okay. Uh, but then you watch Milton on film, and you can see it in flashes. There's no hurry there, especially with Patterson on campus. You know, you got Patterson, you got Peters, you got McCaffrey. There's no hurry for Joe Milton, but he has things that you just can't teach at the quarterback position. And I think the intangibles, something that us as writers can never really convey properly, uh, but it's been something I've been told continuously that, that they love his attitude, they love his work ethic, um, that – the type of guy where, yes, the ceiling is sky high. Yes, he's really raw, but they think that he has the intangibles and work ethic to reach, to have a higher chance of reaching the ceiling than a lot of guys would in his position. So, um, so I'm eventually going to go with Milton. And then underrated, I mean, heck, man. Uh, <laughs> I'd probably go with Michael Barrett. I think he's the Kaliki Hudson of this cycle. Uh, Kaliki, whatever, Hudson, he's the Hudson of this cycle. A guy, again, stayed at an 86 rating the entire process. You turn on his film, I don't see an 86. I see, at the very least, a higher three-star, like an 89, if not like a 90 or a four-star. He's just, I think, the height. Do you think his position also? uh, I think what Harbaugh said yesterday was the best is what it should be and where he should be playing. But do you think that that impacted his ranking, that they were looking at him as a QB when... I mean, you turn on the film. I mean, the guy okay. can. The guy's got some qu- type of ability to run, man. I mean, he's he's well, like Will Fong called him a poor man's Cam Akers, which is not an insult at all because Cam Akers is one of the best running back prospects I can remember mm-hmm. uh, coming out. Uh, they even look alike, kind of, and uh, like like they actually their face like look like they're related. But I think they're pretty similar running styles. I, I'm excited to see what they do with him because, yeah. You know, I think there was the rumor about him playing Viper or linebacker, and it was kind of like, no, I hope that would be really dumb because he's very dynamic with the ball in his hands. And then Harbaugh said yesterday. Well, Harbaugh, it know, sounded almost like he was – that almost sounds like exactly what he was saying about Chris Evans. Kind of, uh, right, we'll figure right. out the position later, but we got to right. get him on the field at some point. Right, and that's – like I said, I really look at Barrett as like a Hudson or even – or maybe an Evans. I think Evans, the hype for Evans started to build a little bit after yeah. spring ball. You know, I think there was a lot of talk about him necessarily right when he signed. Uh, Hudson, though, was a guy, I think, it, it, it didn't take a rocket scientist to know that Michigan got a, a steal and a stud with him. And I kind of feel the same way about Barrett. I mean, the the fact that, you know, the way it played out, it was pretty clear that Michigan may have went back and forth about whether or not they wanted another running back type or athlete type like that on offense uh, much like they did with Oliver Martin in 17 where they had him and then they kind of backed off a little bit and then they rightfully came in at the last second and, and reeled him in. I think it's just, I think they just like Martin, I think they made the right choice uh, with Barrett. But again, I mean, there's like three or four other guys. Welsh off. I mean, I know Isaiah was saw him live. Uh, Michigan almost offered him at the camp last summer. That's and and if that's not an indication that they already didn't really like him, it's clear that they had hit a plan there by pursuing him. I mean, you look at they missed on Petit Frere and Patterson. They didn't pursue any other offensive tackles. Again, I don't know if that was the right strategy or not, but it was clear that it was their strategy. Uh, and they pursued Welshoff and, and went for it, which means, in my opinion, means they 
they see something there. And uh, so I think he's another guy just intriguing as heck. I mean, a guy that really could outdo his recruiting ranking, like could blow it out of the water. So um, I'm yeah. shocked that he didn't get that. He wasn't rated much higher. Cause I remember before I even saw him, I got a, I got a text from, from Barton uh, saying like, keep an eye out for this guy. And when I saw him, he looked, he, he, he was going in these drills. He was the only defensive player, uh, defensive line player at the camp. So he was working out with Rashawn Gary and, uh, and Aubrey Solomon and Don, Donovan Jeter and uh, Luigi Villain. And he looked like he was somewhere between Jeter and Villain and Gary and Solomon. He was that solid. He, we had him at a 90, so we have him as a four-star. So another guy whose composite was hurt badly by, you know, other sites, not like, he, you know, if we have him at a 90 and the composite has him as an 86, that means that like, he must be like unranked by at least one of the other services. I think we're down to just rivals ESPN and, and 24 seven, um, you know, so his composites like being dragged down drastically by, uh, you know, by the other scores, you know, so Again, like I said, kind of a weird cycle to where like 24-7, we're a lot higher on a lot of the Michigan commits than other uh, services are. But also there is like, like I said, you got German Green, uh, Sconemaker got an 87 to begin, but that was before senior season. Barrett stayed the same. Gray stayed the same, even though he got Michigan, UCLA, Oregon offers late. Penn State showed, Penn State Stanford showed legit interest. Uh, Van Summeren stayed the same. Faustin stayed the same the entire cycle. Turner Gem and Green, I know EJ Holland from our Texas site would tell anybody that will listen is that Gem and Green's an easy four-star prospect. Uh, you know, so a lot of these guys, like I said, stayed pretty static throughout the cycle, which is why I think there's a better chance that many of these guys outdo their recruiting ranking because a lot of them were graded solely off their junior seasons. So, hmm. yeah, but my well. pick, my pick would be Barrett though. Okay. For sure. Interesting. Interesting. So, so we have uh, most of this month, I mean, for, for Michigan fans who haven't been following our coverage, most of our stories, as far as recruiting goes, obviously I don't cover recruiting, but you guys do, have been about 2019. And, and I can see where fans kind of have that mindset where it's like, oh, you know, look at Michigan. They're just trying to make it look like they're, they're whatever, about 2018 and on to 2019. But they, they kind of are to a sense because they have a little bit – you know, the signing day in December, the 72% of players signed in the early signing period. So, you know, it's kind of kind of slim pickings. But 2019, they've got a lot of momentum. I mean, these are guys who, when they first really started thinking about where they wanted to go to college, Michigan was a top 10 team, you know, almost the entire way. And, and Harbaugh, you know, has was, was kind of establishing the program. So, like, they don't necessarily remember the the Brady Hoke years and that's not as fresh in their mind plus the satellite camps had their impact and I want to hear from both of you guys what should fans look out for in the 2019 class and I guess what is your early because about a year out you know we'll know what what it kind of was what is your early expectation for the 2019 class Isaiah you had a story yesterday outlining some some top targets to watch what what do you expect from this class well, I, I I don't have the same kind of concerns that I saw a quite a few people have thinking that just because 2018 was a dud, therefore they're going to lose any of the four commits they currently have. 
Uh, I think that's kind of absurd. Uh, so you've already got a five-star in Chris Hinton. I think it'd be, it would be it would take something kind of crazy to pry him away from, from Michigan. He committed pretty early. Just It wasn't just because he wanted to get it over with. Michigan was, is the right fit for him. Uh, he's not really the type of guy that goes to Georgia. Uh, his family has ties with Harbaugh. It, that's, just been, it's, that's been pretty much a lock. But you look at guys, guys across the board, you know, on top of that, on top of the commits, um, well, to touch on the guys they do have, Charles Thomas is probably the most active recruiter in the class. Stephen Heron's not too far behind them. Nolan Rumler has been a, a long time lean before he committed last summer. But then you look at some of the other guys that they're targeting that they're in really good shape with. Uh, they got the two kids from uh, Trinity Christian that uh, both right now have the Steve Wolfong crystal ball, both of them. To, to Michigan, one's a top uh, top twenty four seven guy. The other guy's a five star. Uh, names escaping me off the top of my head, but uh, they're they're in it for so many five stars. I look at a guy like Corvaris Crouch, who was on campus last year uh, during the uh, came out for the barbecue at the Big House. Michigan had the perfect setup for him. He came out and coached with Chris Evans and and uh, and David Long uh, and Josh UK at a. Uh, at a youth camp and he that like kind of changed his perspective on Michigan and he hadn't even set foot in town yet. He had just gotten to Ann Arbor. They came, they basically picked him up from the airport and said, go coach this camp. And that was weirdly just kind of a perfect thing for him. I got a chance to talk to him there and he's a guy Michigan's going to be in it in the thick of it for a while with just they, they're, they're in it with so many more five stars in this upcoming cycle. And, like legitimately in it, not just not just in a case where they're, you know, hoping to, to try to coerce a guy, kind of like you saw with, you know, players like Nick, Nick Petit Frere in 2018. They've already gotten some of these guys on campus. They, they've already they've already managed to, you know, somewhat, you know, get into the battle, you know, much further along in the battle than than they were with uh, some of the guys in 2018. So. You know that that's already played a pretty big part. Uh, I'll defer to Steve as far as talking a little bit more specifically mm-hmm. uh, about some some about some of these guys. But the foundation has already been you know much stronger. It started out much stronger, and I I think this has the potential to be the best class if things go to plan that Michigan's possibly ever had. Just kind of based off of the guys they already have and the guys they're already pretty close with. And Steve, so so keeping an eye also on the amount of spots because I think it's this is the 2015 class, and and obviously there'll be more spots down the road, but I think they have something like 77 or 76 committed scholarships for the next year. But anyway, it's going to be a smaller class, but they're going to try to get you know some some juice in that in that size. I guess what what are you looking at for this class, and and what sort of targets or, or things should fans know about already? Well, the fact that they, whatever happened with Kevin Doyle, I think it's clear that this will be the cycle they'll take two quarterbacks. I don't know if, if they, you know, if they really just loved Joe Milton immediately when he got to campus and thought, hey, maybe we'd be better off. I know 18 was originally the cycle. They did want to take two. Uh, we'll see there. I know. So real quick on that, because he, he committed yeah. to Arizona. So do you think Michigan – decided they didn't want to as badly or do you think Doyle got 
more interest as as time went on in the process? I believe we reported that they asked him to gray shirt, which okay. is usually an indicator that yeah, you know, I mean, it's you're not going to expect a guy like that to take a gray shirt. You know, he's got other BCS offers. You know, I don't. You know, I think he's the only quarterback Arizona took. I mean, what would you rather gray shirt and maybe potentially be behind a guy like Milton, or would you rather get a, like just right for Arizona oh, right away? Oh, I you know think he I mean? made the right call. I was I was curious who do you oh, think was more on that. Because Arizona is no, not a bad Michigan. school to commit to either, but it was, yeah. it was more Michigan's call for sure. There. Okay. Um, overall, though, uh, I mean, they were in it for a lot of five-star guys at this time last year too, right? I think they've done a better job overall of kind of building the foundation, though. Um, this was the class I kind of pegged a while ago as, yeah, potentially being a really big one. It's. I don't know why. Uh, I know, like, as, I don't know why. Was what I'm gonna say. You know, Ohio State had that huge draft haul in 2015, and their 2016 class was really good. I mean, Ohio State's gonna recruit a top five class almost every year, but they really saw the benefits of the draft haul, the 15 draft haul in the 17 cycle. I kind of feel like you know Michigan put in however what 11 or 12 in the uh, in the 17 draft. I yeah. think. 19 was the cycle like I'm just applying that historically where it's not necessarily the that next cycle it's the cycle afterwards that I think you may you'll see a bigger impact hmm. and uh, which would make it in 19 for whatever reason don't ask me why but I mean that it was a clear indicator that Ohio State uh that it really really boosted their 17 class granted they did reel in quite a few earlier commitments which I think played a part um we'll see if Michigan reels in any early ones or not um, the other thing too, I think there's a much better in-state class in 19 yeah. than there was in 18. That's, that's a big, always a big plus for Michigan. Again, we're obviously we're never going to get into it. I don't know if the stuff at Michigan state is going to have an effect, uh, on what happens in the recruiting trail. I just know that a, you know, Michigan has offered, I think 14 guys in state already. That's a lot. It's higher than they normally do, especially this early in the cycle. And mm-hmm. B, a lot of them are guys I think who are, again, we'll see what happens with the rankings, but are guys I think will eventually rise. Like I think Adam Berghorst is a guy that will could very easily see a significant rise in the rankings. Carson Barnhart, uh, you know, guys like that I think are, are primed to move up. I think Lance Dix is a four-star too. He didn't get a bump in our ranking. Even I tried to uh, – send a note along on a few guys. Nobody listened. I think, I think Lance Dixon's a clear four-star prospect too. So, uh, so it's a good in-state class, nice possibility for a foundation there. And uh, I think it'll definitely be better than 18 class. As far as like, if you're stuck, if you're talking strictly recruiting rankings and the ratings of the players, that type of thing, is it, I don't think people should get too, optimistic about the actual how they end up ranking because like you said it is gonna it's not gonna be a huge class like 16 or 17 i think it'll be bigger than what 18 was for sure i just don't i don't think you're gonna see the 28 29 30 uh Mm -hmm. type size so i think it's gonna be one of those deals where the number you're gonna want to watch if you're concerned about that stuff is like what the rating per average rating yeah yeah, so that's the number I would watch if I was a Michigan fan. Again, I don't expect them to. I expect Michigan, a lot of Michigan fans <laughs> to look solely at where they're ranked in the class and fret 
and go insane if it's not like you know a top five class. So, um, but for those who are rational, I would just look at the rating per recruit because I don't expect it to be a massive class. Uh, again, they put a lot of pressure on themselves in the offensive line, as we already kind of said. Uh, I think we like you know Isaiah mentioned Ronnie Bell. I think. Granted, they they did so well in 17 at receiver, it was okay that they only took one in 18. But, you know, I don't know if Ronnie Bell, you can't say that Ronnie Bell's a sure thing. So I think it's important. I think wide receiver's right up there as far as uh, important. I think running back is still really important, too. It'd be nice to get, they've been so close with a handful of studs at the running back position. You know, Crouch looks to be next in line as far as that national race you know where it's probably going to be alabama is probably going to be there i would assume clemson will probably eventually be there you know one of those where it's like mm-hmm. i think fans michigan fans especially will just assume he's going to end up elsewhere as the you know as many positive reports as we're probably going to write about the crouch <laughs> recruitment because he does like michigan a lot his head coach loves michigan i think his head coach personally i think his head coach prefers michigan over everybody else you know there'll be a lot of positive reports there you know and we'll get a lot of blowback there uh, you know, but it's, uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting cycle. I mean, like they've already got three top 100 kids committed. They didn't have any, any as we've discussed already, uh, in the 18 class. So the class is already, the foundation's already better than it was in 18 again, strictly yeah. speaking rankings wise. But, um, so yeah. So, okay. Well, I, we don't know what will happen, but we do know the fans are going to freak out no matter what. And that's comes with the territory. Not, not all fans. You know, this is a a select group that seems to just never be happy. And yesterday, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, it almost felt like 2014 again, in which, like, every tweet, I mean, I think I even tweeted, like, something non-football, and people were just, I think it was like a basketball tweet, and they were replying saying, like, why can't Michigan you know, do this or do that. And a lot, a lot of vitriol, a lot of anger. And of course, what comes with that is uh, what, what we call jabroni takes, which are takes that are moronic. They're, they're dumb. They're uh, really, really off base. Uh, trying to, trying to do podcast friendly adjectives here. And so curious for you guys, which take, and I'll let you guys decide which ones count because there were people that were of course saying fire Harbaugh, but you know, obviously that's not a, I don't know if that has enough backing to actually be taken seriously. Um, you know, there are other there are other stuff too. I'll let you guys decide which take, but which take which jabroni take was the worst yesterday? And I'll say mine because I tweeted about it. I didn't really, you guys know, I don't, I'm not like that into recruiting, and and I have my thoughts, of course, but I'm generally pretty passive about it. But the one that really drove me nuts, because I've heard a lot of people say that Harbaugh needs to quiet down the off season and. And I think he does because it might look a little odd if if they had a bad season and he's like off at Judge Judy. I think it's overblown. I think fans think that that's a detriment to the team when it's not. Um, but I think it, I think I could see where like the perception might might look a little desperate or whatever. But the thing that drives me nuts is fans, and I think there are people on our on our message board too about it. They they're very against the uh, Paris and Normandy trip. And it just it blows my mind. And and to me, it's honestly a selfish it's a selfish outlook that because Michigan didn't win you enough football games, it didn't make you feel good about the team you root for, 
that they suddenly can't go to this 100% appreciated. I mean, even Harbaugh's biggest detractors and biggest criticizers were were on board with this. They said this is, I you know, even people like at other teams were like, I wish every program did something like this. And obviously, financially, it's not always going to be the case. But they go to Paris or Rome or wherever they go. They learn about the culture. They learn about another country. They learn about art and history and and literature while they're there. They have the opportunity to to convey it into a study abroad program, which uh, ask any football player, you know, how likely it was that they would get to study abroad. Generally speaking, uh, not likely. You know, you kind of have to you almost have to be like a walk on or or just not someone who factors too much into the game uh, to get it. But, you know. Players could study abroad. I mean, they could be college students and be better human beings because of this trip, which they also practice on. Like, it's not like they they're just partying it up and and skipping out on practice. And and it's spring practice. I so to me, you know, when people are like, just w- focus on winning instead, it's like, oh my goodness, you know, the, the it's it's like this mindset that the players are only at school to play football and to win you football games and this this trip's fronted by donors it's not your money and even if it was it it's their team they get to do whatever they want with it and if you don't like it root for another team give someone else your money and like i'm not like i i'm pretty i'm not like you know captain captain michigan defender here but this one it just always drove me nuts every time i saw it yesterday it was like of all the things to care about, this is like the one thing Michigan has going for it that is like universally beloved and like completely right, and that's the one you're gonna pick on. So that's that's me. That's my spiel. Uh, we'll start with Steve this time. Uh, Steve, what which take was the biggest jabroni take for you? I, it's that. I feel the same way about it. If you're here, let's read some of the stupid comments. Here, I mean, I don't even care if these are our own members. Like, these takes are so awful that they deserve to be ridiculed. Um, It seems like a luxury you can afford if you take care of your business, which Michigan failed to do this year. And what what does the trip, comma, scenery, comma, comma, food, comma, etc. do to focus? The competition is working their tails off to beat you without the distraction of the French or Italian countryside. <laughs> Blue collar, it ain't. I mean, I, it's all, again, it's almost, the takes on this are so bad that it's almost to the fire Harbaugh point where you don't even want to give them the attention because they're so stupid. Like this comment, it seems like a luxury you can afford if you take care of your business which Michigan failed to do this year. Yeah, I think Basically, people think it's like this vacation that you earn. It's like a it's like going to the uh to like Disney World or something. No, this is like a real work thing. Like and the reason we gave it attention is cuz like there are people in my circle of friends and family who are like Harbaugh needs to stop all this nonsense. Just focus on winning and it's like good grief, but keep going. Like so if they win enough games to, you know, what do you do? You set a bar. If they win 10 games, they should be allowed to go on the trip next spring. You know, and it's like, it is, man. It's the whole idea that these players are just robots that are there to entertain you and provide you with satisfaction and worth so that when you go to work on Monday, you can, like, rub it into your Michigan State friend that Michigan's football team is better than Michigan State's. You know, like, that's or that you can 
posts like some like dumb like Michigan football like skeleton meme thing on Facebook that says that Michigan's badass and you know like they're the best like go blue you know and that you can't do that if they're not doing it if they're not playing up to your expectations <laughs> and uh you know that's, that's almost too accurate this. yeah yeah no I read this and that's what I think of are people like that people that would buy those like weird like Michigan like skull t-shirts that you see shared on Facebook every once in a while um so yeah I mean it's that's I think that's actually I think it's kind of by far the the worst take because it is it is it's it's the most tangible example of the fact that most fans don't really care about the players themselves and aren't rooting for the actual players that they just want to see wins and that you know if these kids aren't devoting every ounce of their being to satisfying that by working harder to satisfy them that it's it's not worth it or that it's it's a bad idea or that it's dumb you know so um or here's the it seems like the type of luxury that creates an entitled and soft team it's like yeah you know i thought that <laughs> i thought the i thought the i think the trip idea that harbach it's one of the smartest ideas that i can remember as far as like this you know the student athlete is concerned you know and uh so yeah i just again these are what i call eight and five things right like mm-hmm. these are the it is it's all about and that's i mean granted these people pretty much say that because they're comfortable in you know spending literally every day from now until september complaining in some way shape or form about uh michigan's on-field performance in 2017 but uh it's just, you know, that one I thought was by far the worst, in my opinion. I, I think if you don't support the fact that these kids get to go on this trip, then you're you're an idiot, and you are selfish, and you should like look in the mirror and reevaluate your priorities. So, Isaiah, in, in addition to this, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure you got a little bit of a gauge at what what the players thought because it was it was like I said, it, it you know, for those who weren't around on social media yesterday, it was like. You know, Michigan was introducing, you know, they were doing like the graphics, introducing new players, and there'd be people in the mentions being like, three-star nobody, or like, no one cares about this kid, and it's just like, it, it was it was very obscene, to be honest, and obviously this is a minority of fans, um, but it seems like there's a lot, of, a lot of frustration. I'd be very curious to see how many of those actually went to Michigan, or actually like didn't just hop on the bandwagon when Harbaugh came, but, but still I'm curious, biggest jabroni take for you. And, and I don't know if you have any snippets of like how the players reacted to this, uh, but anything, anything you can add from a very uh, strangely over negative day for Michigan fans. You actually nailed exactly what I was going to talk about um, because I knew you two were going to talk about uh, the, uh, the trips, which I concur with, of course, uh, everything that you said, uh, but uh, but yeah, that's I, I did notice a couple of those uh, a, co- a couple of those players taking the social media. Uh, the first one being Cam McGrone. Uh Obviously, he's you know Michigan's highest rated by twenty four seven Sports as a five star. But you, you know, when once Otis Reese decommitted, you know you had everyone basically acting like the class was a complete failure, and he you know he tweeted out a. Uh, those will, those who stay will be champions. 
And then on top of that, then you get you got people responding to his "Those Who Stay Will Be Champions," uh, saying basically when they're like oh, we're sick of losing when, and it, and then you I saw I think I think it was his I don't know if it was his mom or it was just another mom, but they they were like, "Geez, like come on, like should be happy that these kids are getting the opportunity of a lifetime." And that they're uh, that they're going to go and you know try you know bust their tail to to try to make Michigan as good as possible, uh, and so like that, people were really overboard with that. I saw a response from Ben Van Sumeren as well, saying uh, saying something to the effect like, "Well, I guess we've got something to prove now." Uh, it, it, yeah. It's pretty absurd that that so many people were so so many people were were like basically to their face telling half the class that they weren't they aren't good enough to to be at michigan and i know their face through a keyboard you know how the keyboard warriors go yeah (laughs) exactly but like i mean that i that's the whole point these people these these people sit down and have these reactions as if as if i'm putting this out there into the world and i'm going to get a bunch of likes from michigan fans not realizing that there's a 17 year old kid on the other on the other end that they just tagged it you know in in that that sees it and they're a human being. They're a student athlete. They don't owe you anything. I don't care how much you spend on tickets. I don't care how much you spend on anything, unless you are a mega donor. In my, you know, unless you're, and, and even then, it's this other kid's life. Unless you're Al Glick, I don't really, I don't really care what you have to say about about a kid's performance, about a student athlete's performance. Especially a guy who hasn't done anything on the field yet because he hasn't even reported to Ann Arbor. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. why, why don't you wait and see? Because it, it really is a bunch of stargazing is what it all comes down to. Uh, I, I know there's, there, there's been a, a ton of – I saw one, one reporter I really respect point out that you have to have a top 10 class in order to – yeah, you know, in order to compete for a college football playoff, and they said Michigan didn't get, hasn't gotten it done. And I politely pointed out that the last two years were top ten classes. It's just because this year's wasn't that good doesn't mean that Michigan hasn't. And then when it comes down to it, you look at look at look at the NFL. You know, one of the, arguably the best player in the NFL, uh, not this year because obviously he was injured, but JJ Watt, who was like a two star, played briefly at Central Michigan or Western Michigan. I can't remember which directional before going to Wisconsin, and you know, some, you know, it, yeah, five stars are probably going to be pretty good. Probably hasn't worked out that way necessarily at Michigan over the course of, uh, of course, in the, of, over the course of the several, last several years for the program. Uh, when you look back at like Derek Green or, uh, you know, Kevin Grady. Uh, but at the same time, just because the guy's two star doesn't mean he can't go out there and be amazing. Look, you know, you look at some of the players that Michigan's had that have been really, really damn good, like Jordan Kovacs. You know, they—he was a walk-on. Like, so I, I just don't understand why, just because that guy wasn't rated by one of us as being one of the best players in the country, there's a subset of the fan base that thinks it's acceptable to tweet at them and tell them that they're no good for Michigan. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it, clearly, yeah, go ahead. Clearly, they are. I mean, clearly they are. The coaching staff wants them. They're they're clearly good enough. It doesn't really matter what any of us has to say. Hey, we play a role in that, though. I mean, it's for better or worse. I mean, we can't, you know, being the ones who cover recruiting, 
Um, and, you know, if Corvaris Crouch is to visit Michigan this weekend, I would be writing an article saying, big news for Michigan, five-star running back is going to visit Ann Arbor this weekend, right? So, I mean, we we do play a role in, like, kind of how the, the expectation of the fan, I guess, to an extent. So it's, you know, I'd be, if I was being honest, I mean, you know, it's something that you can't really fully ignore. I think it's more like on a day-to-day basis when we are kind of giving people the in and out of what's really going on and people just are unwilling to accept it, I guess. Like <laughs> when Michigan recruited Gemin and German Green, I was explicitly told that many in the DeSoto area think that German Green may actually be the better prospect, but he tore his ACL his junior year and never really got to showcase, you know, this is when Michigan, Michigan took him, you know, took his commitment before his senior year when he was full, like when he got to get back on the field, you know, and it's one of those things where, you know, it was explained pretty clearly that that's was kind of the belief and, uh, but, but he was only an 83 or 84 rating. So nobody it's looked at as, you know, kind of the sunshine blowing. So, you know, there's kind of a balance there on our end, or at least the way I try to approach it. Cause like, I know that, like I said, we just got done talking about the 19 class should be better. And because they're in on all these five star top 100 guys, but at the, you know, at the same time, there's just, people don't want to pay attention. Uh, there's still a lot of plugging their ears and la 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 lying, you know, because uh, partially of the hype that we create around some of these guys. So, well, it's the stars a, it's, do they they do matter, but I think the the point that Isaiah brings up is like, you know, what what exactly is the point of your fanhood to Michigan if you're going to insult the program and the player? Because like like we're not we're not. Sh- I think hopefully this podcast was not too much of a sugar coating because you know we pointed out they had some serious misses and had some serious they have some serious work to do in 2019. They have to you know bring the results, but. But at the same time, what is the point of being a Michigan fan if, you know, a player that is a three-star commits instead of a five-star, you're going to insult him and tell him that the program, you know, like, like what exactly is your, your end goal here to make someone feel bad? Like, <laughs> why? It, 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 but that's okay. So in that speaking specifically to that, yes, that is the end game to make they, you know, misery loves company and these people, a lot of these people are just unhappy in their day-to-day lives and they use like something like Michigan football as sort of a crutch or a soundboard to project their inadequacies. I mean, I've said this a thousand times, I think at this point, but it's really, I I always think that's really what it comes down to. Like if you're, you know, you should, it shouldn't be hard to just support your team uh, regardless of where they're at. But many people, like most people don't do that when their team isn't doing well. And it's mostly because, you know, that's, that's in my opinion, that's why. What else? What are, like you said, what other reason is there to, you know, especially when you're, yeah, you're talking to kids that haven't played, you know, or even I mean, even a guy like O'Corn who gets up in front of the media after, you know, blowing the game against Ohio State. I mean, there's just no other way to say that he. he that's what happened. He did that, but he was still man enough and you know yeah michigan was ready to protect him he asked to go up there and and kind of apologize right and your reaction to that is 
you know, more scoring. Now, granted, again, here's the one thing we should also make clear. The negative people always, unfortunately, and, and we're doing it right now, the negative people always get more attention yeah. than, the ra- than the rational, of which I think really at the end of the day, I think there are much more, there are many more rational people out there. The ones who aren't rational are just a lot louder <laughs> than the ones who are. Yeah. And so, yeah, you know, there's, sure. there's, there's that part of it too, you know, but, um, I just, yeah, I just always go back to the same thing. I think people are just, they need something to project their unhappiness on. And, uh, you know, it's the same, uh, I probably shouldn't go down that road. Hey, one thing uh, we can, we can switch gears, but we can keep talking about it a little bit, but since we're uh, running low on time, I'll go ahead before we do Okay. free throws, free throws. Well, it's just the whole thing with uh, like I, at the end of one of uh, an interview I had with a with one of Michigan's football players after uh, after the Outback Bowl, they were telling me because they had they had one bad play, what uh, one one bad play overall, and they were and their their initial thing as they were leaving when it was just he and I were like it was like I think I'm going to probably end up deleting my social media. I don't think they did, but. Like I'm probably gonna end up deleting my social media because I already know what I'm gonna what I'm gonna find when I get back there. Yeah. Like I, I don't understand how that's productive when that becomes when that becomes a thing. When it's it's and you know, that's not recruiting, of course, that's current team and but it falls right in line with what Steve was just saying about John O'Corn. It's like they know you know, if, if they don't if they don't make a tackle, if they don't make a catch they're they're well aware that they did not do the right thing. If it was something where they had the opportunity and they missed it, they're well aware. And you know, yeah, yeah, you're within your rights to say like like, hey, you know that you know you messed up. But yeah, also have to understand that they you know they also are a human being that knows that they messed up and does doesn't necessarily need a hundred thousand voices telling them how much they suck because right. they made a mistake. Hey, we are not going to talk about free throws, just to be very clear. Uh, uh, we, we, I know, basketball, <laughs> and we got a couple questions about records and Patterson and, and some offensive line scenarios. That's going to be a different day. We, we just can't go on for on and on and on. Uh, we also don't have the studio time. But real quick, there was uh, some coaching tidbits over the past few days. It has been reported that Jim McElwain and Cam Cameron, two former SEC head coaches, uh, have have stopped by Ann Arbor to to interview. There there is one assistant coaching position, and then Harbaugh, when asked yesterday, said he was asked if there would be any other changes beyond that. He said he does not anticipate anything, and obviously he's not going to reveal in a press conference that he anticipates changes. But we are starting to get the sense that maybe the staff is more settled than it might have looked a month ago. Uh, Isaiah, you were there. Talking to Harbaugh, I'm curious. I guess if if I missed any news, feel free to clarify. But also curious what your thoughts are. And then we also got questions talking about even if there aren't changes in who's in charge, should there be changes in roles? Do you anticipate that? Um, and then one final question asked about the receivers coach: Is that tenth assistant probably going to be receivers, or how do you see that? We'll start with Isaiah. I do want to get Steve's thoughts as well, though. Uh, I'll kind of halfway work backwards. I, I, I anticipate that it would be receivers. Harbaugh did say that the the new coach would be on the offensive side. Okay. That's what Danny Enos was hired to do, was uh, at least initially coach receivers. So I would imagine that that's going to at least be how it starts. But they are, 
Harbaugh, so I think the most interesting part, and I know I and, and my story, I kind of lumped it in there uh, because there was no better way to kind of frame it, but they're doing a, a, a self-look at the offense right now in general because they're well aware that it is that it didn't work last year uh and they're they're trying to figure out how they can get it get it up to the speed of the defense i don't know that that's feasible considering the defense success over the last several years that they can do that overnight but that's what they're trying to do uh i had written a note a couple days ago uh a vip note uh saying that they were looking specifically to try to bring in with after Enos's departure, a guy that had either, you know, NFL or NCAA, either head coaching or coordinating experience. That's the level of expertise that they want to bring in. So obviously no surprise when bringing in McElwain and uh, Cam Cameron, they you both have been head coaches, uh, you know, in NCAA and uh, NFL respectively. So it's, they're they're trying to get as many I think fresh eyes on on all of it. Considering Ed Warner is a, a senior offensive analyst at this juncture, doesn't sound like he's going to be up for that tenth role. But even though he had been an offensive coordinator at Ohio State, uh, but it just sounds like they're trying to get as many eyes on the problem, and then they'll kind of delineate from there. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if you saw some shuffling. I don't anticipate it. But, I mean, you've already seen on the defensive side, for instance, Chris Partridge moving from linebackers to right. safety to make room for Al Washington. If they got a certain fit, I wouldn't be surprised necessarily to see maybe someone like Jay Harbaugh move, but that's just speculative on my part. Sure. Okay. And then, Steve, I guess uh, your your thoughts on on how things have transpired and I guess a little bit of this self-look? Uh, I mean, I think the staff got better. I know Bill Green of our, I don't know if Bill Green's Ohio State or if he's just kind he of He covers Ohio, Ohio yeah. Yeah, uh, loves Ed Warner. He said he thinks Ed Warner is the best pure offensive line coach in the country. Uh, so that's a big, that's good. You want that, you know, like especially with how the offensive line is. Well, and it was revealed, revealed real quick, you know, for I, th- I think some people are worried that because he's an analyst, he might have a little bit of a flight risk. He is going to make $250,000, which is, unless I'm mistaken, really good analyst money. I mean, that's more or less assistant coach kind of money. Right. I, yeah, that's... I'm a little surprised that he's not... Maybe hasn't worked his way. Okay. And not the field spot yet, I guess, just because he has a really good track record up front. I mean, even Minnesota, I want to say, ran the ball pretty well all in all uh, last year with a you know, in flex for a season. I could be wrong on that. I feel like they did though. They're they're a running um, team. They were a running team before. I don't it's hard to gauge how much he right, boosted right, that. Yeah. Right. Um but kind of an underrated bad take I feel like was anybody who didn't think that hiring Jim McElwain to a potential position coach spot wouldn't be a huge coup for Michigan. I mean, yeah, the guy got let go at Florida, but Florida won back to back SEC East titles under him and 19 and six in his first two years yeah like i think that'd be a a massively good hire for michigan if they could reel him in i mean for sure i thought i um, thought it was a little premature florida to let him go as it were well i think there were some other things going on there um that death threats stuff was yeah he was weird. claiming he was claiming they were making death threats to him and yeah, that wasn't it was kind true of, it was kind Sometimes, of weird, yeah, yeah if if 
and head coach is a little different than coordinator because like if a head coach if suddenly fans really don't like him it's a little puts the school in more of a bind whereas like I think there are a few fans who are not the biggest supporters of Tim Drevno, but you know, if Harbaugh wants him around and thinks he can do the job, he's going to have that chance. Right. You know, and I, I mean, again, I say McIlwain is a coup, but I mean, I would take Dan Mullen over Jim McIlwain as a head coach for sure. So there's mm-hmm. that too. I mean, Florida got a better guy in there, but as a position coach for Michigan, he'd be, I think he'd be a home run. I mean, whether, whatever position that may be, I mean, I, 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 I think, like Jay Harbaugh's not moving. I'd be really surprised if that happened. Uh, the defensive side of the ball seems set. I, I'm assuming whoever they hire would be the receivers guy. That's just I don't think they would, unless Hamilton. I don't know. Like Hamilton has like three titles on his name right now. I don't know what that's like a permanent thing or if that's just for now. Um, but I'm you know I'm trying to think of what else they would do. I didn't really like the splitting of the tackles and guards last year. I thought that was kind of an odd. They did that at Stanford, but I think right, right. It was, it's a little different at Michigan, yeah. Right. So I think overall I'd be surprised if it wasn't a receiver. Whoever it is doesn't coach receivers, right? So, I mean, McElwain was what, offensive coordinator at Alabama? Yeah, he, he was offensive coordinator and QB coach at Alabama. He did the yeah. same thing at Fresno. He was actually a wide receivers coach at Louisville and Michigan State in the early 2000s so right so he can coach. i mean and if he's you know if you're an offensive coordinator at any point you can you can coach receivers i, I would believe so um so yeah so i mean that's what i i i guess i hear him next to cam cameron and and it's kind of like maybe they should try to get McElwain. you know i don't um because cam cameron granted as a play caller has really kind of been underwhelming almost everywhere he's been but maybe it'd be a little bit different as a former michigan wide receivers coach actually right yeah 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 i i i think getting McElwain on board i think would be a nice it would really help on the recruiting trail too i i would think uh you know i assume he's still got some good relationships with a lot of the schools down in, in florida and somewhere down south too so um so yeah so that's my those are my two cents on that okay okay yeah yeah i was just curious um yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you guys. I think I think I if I'm a Michigan fan, I would be encouraged that they're reviewing things. I think as as we've noted, if you're outside the top 100 in that many offensive categories, you know, even with injuries and youth, uh, to a certain extent, it is kind of inexcusable with how many talented players you have. So I guess we'll see. Uh, we'll see. Someone yeah, someone asked why they don't have a designated receivers coach. Uh, I think they're gonna hire one. I also think Roy Roundtree, former Michigan receiver as a GA, uh, and, and kind of a chip on his shoulder GA too, because he was basically like, just get me get me in the room. I don't care about the pay. I don't care about this and that. Like He just wants to prove himself. So we'll see. We'll see. Obviously, we'll have any news on that at the MichiganInsider.com and 247sports.com slash Michigan. We did get great Sandini. And David Herrick, you guys asked about the offensive line and quarterback and how that would affect the season. Uh, probably next week discussion, uh, and hopefully we can remember it next week. But today, very much about recruiting, a uh, little bit of coaching, just because it was it was notable. Uh, we'll see what happens. They got one more assistant, and as Isaiah pointed out, you know, get some fresh eyes. And Steve pointed out, you know, get some experienced guys in. You know, it's not necessarily. You know, if your company is if if you're a company and you're struggling, this is what I said on on uh, inside the huddle today. 
If you're a company and you're struggling, your answer isn't always to fire everybody and start new. Sometimes it's to add an outside perspective or to or to tweak how you know your company operates. You know, so there's lots of ways to improve, and we'll see. I mean, I don't know if Michigan's going to pick the right answer. We won't know until this time next year, but uh, I guess we'll see what they do. And if we, anyone who knows Harbaugh knows he's going to do whatever he wants to do and isn't going to care too much about what the fans think. But anyway, hopefully you enjoyed the podcast. Lots of recruiting insight. Uh, we'll, we'll keep recruiting in this podcast whenever it's, whenever it's relevant throughout the year. 2019, as they mentioned, should be a good class, a better class, you know, potentially an elite class. And then the 2018 class, uh, certainly some misses, uh, but a whole lot of, whole lot of outrage, you know, over something that isn't, it isn't, uh, it isn't completely off the map. You know, it's still, it's still a class, uh, with, with, you know, 19 players that they all, they expect all of them to, to be something at some point. So, Anyway, that's going to do it for the Wolverine 24-7 podcast. Check out all of our stories at michiganinsider.com, uh, 247sports.com slash Michigan. Uh, for Isaiah Hole and Steve Lorenz, I'm Zach Shaw. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something. And we'll see you next time.